I think the main thing is the ability to take my vision, my dream, and give effect to it. Yeah. And, and it's to, to look at the business and, and knowing that I, with the help of a lot of other people, yeah. did this. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and being proud what, of this yeah. is what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. How do you find the courage to try? Can you distill the clarity to start? What drives real commitment to keep going? Let's deconstruct complexity and make it simple. Let's learn how to take action and make progress. I'm Pete Seligman, and this is The Next Step. The next episode of The Next Step podcast, and I've got Tiandre here with me, who I met seven years ago, probably. More than that. Maybe more than that. Um, when we're working together at Stockland and we're in the risk management department there, just trying to keep an eye as we could on various things going on at Stockland at the time. And there was a fair bit of change going on. But one of the things that I think we probably both realized in each other is that we like to think about things a bit differently and probably had aspirations to do other things later on. And both of us since have. Yes. So so I think, I think this conversation is going to be really interesting because... Both of us have come from similar-ish backgrounds in kind of corporate and big practice type backgrounds. And then in the last few years have moved into small and startup business world. And so it'd be really interesting to reflect on our combined experience through that period. But to kick things off, Obviously, anyone who listens can stalk you on LinkedIn and look at your profile and things. But (laughs) can you do like a quick kind of bio, kind of a bit about where you came from and a bit about early career and then a bit about where you got to where you are now? Yeah, I trained as as an accountant. uh, And as you can tell from the accent, from South Africa originally. And there the whole mindset was, if you want to do anything in business, you've got to be an accountant. Just the thing. So did that and then started my career with, with Deloitte and which was a really good place to start, right? It gives you, I think, something on the CV that looks credible, mm. lots of exposure and then the opportunity to talk from place to place. So did three years there in South Africa and then moved to the US and spent three years with Deloitte in the US and then came to Australia with Deloitte again and spent three years in Australia with them. After that, decided that I've had enough of, of big consulting and accounting firms. I wanted to do something a bit different. Well, they do say that, you know, accounting is the language of business. Yeah. So as like you're saying, as a foundation, it's really useful to know that you can always come back to those core principles and know what that language is. Then when you're going to go on to the next parts of your career, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think the last bit of the career with Deloitte was in corporate advisory and transaction services. So I was already using the accounting as something to understand Some business with rather than just being involved with the accounting. Yeah. And that really set me up for the opportunity to move to Stockland where, where we met, yeah. where it was about corporate risk advisory, learning more skills there and you know getting more board exposure and understanding how corporates and listed companies work as opposed to the world of, of consulting and, and um, you know, big four accounting firms. But I think that's in me where the old seed started to live again, which was back in high school really wanted to do something a bit more entrepreneurial, control my own destiny. Mm-hmm. And there are some people that are lucky enough to be able to do that in big corporate, but for most people it doesn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. And so from there I made the move to a much smaller entity where I got the opportunity to take on greater responsibility. And I was looking at that point in time for greater responsibility, knowing that 
I'm not going to grow if I just have a little, small little fixed role with fixed accountability. Yeah. Uh, and then got the opportunity to go to a company called Petsure as the CFO, yeah. which was a big step up in terms of role and to a much, much, much smaller company than mm. from Stockland, which I think at that point in time was ASX top 30. Mm. But yeah, so it was in that place where selling a company, never had turned a profit, had 100,000 customers, uh, but had a bit of momentum, a bit of growth. And there's suddenly all these other skills that I learned I could start employing. Think about a risk about it, but look at the, the accounts and understand that is the language yeah. and uh, make some changes. And ended up spending five year, years at Petrol. Uh, and through that, uh, was part of, of turning it around to a business that now makes profit profits year on year mm. and help the, the founder there exit for a lot of money. And it was just a great learning experience. Yeah. Yeah, and what did you, like, when you made that jump from Stockland out, were you deliberately looking for something at that end of the spectrum or were you just looking for something with more accountability? Do you know what I mean? Like, if you'd found another role that was um, more accountability but in a more established business that might have had a bit more of a track record that might have been cash flow positive or were you deliberately seeking out, you know what, I want something right at the pointy end? I think a bit of both. Uh, I think I was looking for the biggest role that I could get, yep. but that had all the the prospects of, of growth. Yeah. Uh, not just in terms of the company, but but personally, right? So if I got a similar opportunity at a company twice the size, clearly I would have gone yeah. for that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So it's almost where my skill set met uh, the place where the organisation was was small enough to say, yes, this guy hasn't been a CFO before. Yeah. But we'll take him. He's got what we want. Yeah. Some of it's just luck. Yeah. Right, so I think I was I was looking for a CFO role. I decided that that's the next step, um, yeah. where that's close enough to the, the skills that I had, but also in line with my aspirations ultimately to run businesses. Yeah. So that nexus was I CFO is what I want. Yeah. Uh, and let's go look for places that are willing to take a risk. And somebody at that point in time, I think I was, was it, um, you know, thirty three years old or yeah. something, never been a CFO, who's willing to take a risk on, yeah. on me. Yeah, uh, and then found an organisation with that kind of appetite, and I think that was part of of the magic is that they had the same view, the same kind of risk appetite. They they were willing to try things, and that resonated with me as well. And do you think that there was a really good culture fit there too? Like, was that did that play a part in your ability to then confidently take that step? From the, the senior management, absolutely. To yeah. be honest, they yeah. definitely had that kind of view of the world, and we get it find somebody that's smart and curious and wants to get things done rather than somebody that's just done this before yes. therefore save their hands. Yeah. The culture in the organization as a whole was very, very different from, yeah, from where right. I've grown up to. So yeah. instead of CBDA based, it was way out in, in Castle Hill and this was yeah. way before there was a train line there. Yeah. And this rundown old place almost feel like the startup garage days that I joined <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, and so that culture was, was not necessarily a culture I was used to or, yeah. or felt comfortable in. Yeah. Part of the stretch. But the mindset of the board and the, and the leadership was definitely something that resonated and I yeah, felt right. Yeah, right. And like one thing that I think is quite interesting about that, not only your description of it, but also the way it played out, like has their decision-making process to bring you on as part of the team at that point in time had an impact on the way in which you now think about employing people for your team as well? Do you know what I mean? Because obviously you were looking for someone that would back you. You were kind yes. of saying, I can do this. 
I know it doesn't say that on my CV, but I know I can. And now I need someone else to fill the other side of that equation and, and back me into that. Like if you had other experiences where you've been on the other side and then you're thinking, you know what, that guy or that girl doesn't have it on the CV, but you know what, I reckon it's worth a chance. Yeah, I do think there's something. So I'm forever grateful uh, for Gavin Tarnans who gave me the opportunity there, the guy that hired me. And so I think there's, there's a bit of gratefulness in there. Yeah. Uh, and yes, it does change the mindset, like, you know, pay it forward and mm. give somebody else the gap. But also, it's, it's not just about that. I think also I can see myself that it worked out. And therefore, I've, and I've also seen where you hire the safe pair of hands that they've done this before and therefore it's, it's mm. an easy fit. Yes. And that doesn't work out and you just end up getting mediocre. <laughs> yeah. And so, yes, I've definitely hired with that mindset in the past. And it's not always worked out for me. No. But, but definitely in any given day, I'd hire for, for, for smart curiosity and attitude over exact experience. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's funny, like they always just say that hiring is just guessing ultimately. Yeah. I mean, you don't really know. But usually, I guess maybe there's a better chance that you're going to be able to get a feel for someone and their, their attitude and their curiosity, as you, as you put it, probably quicker than their capability. Yeah. Because yeah. you can pick that up in quite a visceral kind of way, better than you can determine whether or not they can add up. So, so interesting that the one that actually didn't work out that well was I was hiring for a pricing analyst uh, inside essentially insurance business and yes yeah. everybody just hiring actuaries I interviewed a bunch of actuaries and didn't like what I saw yeah. and ended up going for somebody completely left field and she was only there for six months and ultimately moved on and that didn't quite work out for her she did bring some thinking into the role but she was the right person maybe just getting somebody that's not actually too much of a stretch she now runs a hugely successful startup backed by Microsoft yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you never know. She was the right person. Maybe that role was just a little bit of too much of a stretch. Yeah, that's it. that's it. It's interesting how, like, you, like a small miss can end up being quite a big miss, and you just got to get the fit right yeah. to make it actually take off right. But who knows what that might have meant for her career. Maybe she she wouldn't have done what she's done today yeah, if she exactly. didn't have that experience. Yeah, it's true. That's true. And so then, so was it just to get to the last stage then of where you're at right yeah, now? Yeah. So was it to do with the raise that you then moved on? Like what, what, what was that transition where you went from? So there was a few things. things. So um, I always want to keep on learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that I started to do an MBA and my MBA just finished and I did this immersion experiential based MBA. So, I, you know, which I felt helped me think even more differently than I already did with a sellout of that it ended up being the insurer that, that always backed the agency that, that bought the business. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, kind of a vertical integration. That, that, that's, that's right. That's right. So, I could see that for me, uh, suddenly almost running the show as the, the 2IC to the CEO there would change over time to become just another line manager in a much bigger organization. Oh, I see. As part of that integration. Yes. Yeah. Even, okay. And even though that wasn't the party line. Yes. You know that's you know, the party line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and having just completed the MBA, just done the, the sellout and having five years in that role ready for something else, it all just started stacking up. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and with that, I started having conversations and I think that further stimulated the thought and the desire to step out and do something. Yeah. And so what happened? <laughs> lots of eats, eats and lots of misses. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it, it started out with, with a conversation with a bunch of guys also in South Africa where a lot of insurance innovation happens and they wanted to bring their business to Australia. And ultimately, the conversation was, 
tell us a bit about the Australian market. And after about an hour, they said, it's great. Why don't you put a business plan together, come see us, and, and you bring it to Australia. Yeah. Awesome. So I did that, did a big study, and flew out to South Africa and pitched, and, and they all got excited about it. Only three months later, for them to decide, no, they're not ready to move internationally, they need to focus on, on home base. Yeah. But at that time, for me, it had shifted. I yeah, made my decision, yeah, this is yeah. what I'm going to do. Yeah. I've, I think I understood the market. You get through the gate, you're ready to go. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so then I really just, at that point in time, said, I'm going to make this work. Uh, I resigned. I had yeah. quite a long uh, notice period, six yeah. months, that I had to work out. So I gave notice, and during the notice period, I then said, well, I've got to find something. Mm. Uh, worked in another opportunity in, in the peer-to-peer insurance space, which a few years ago seemed like it was going to be a thing. Mm. It's not a thing today, <laughs> it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> but based on that, just said, I'm going to go through, I'm going to back myself to make this career transition, knowing that if it doesn't work out, I'm young enough to go Did back into corporate. Yeah. Uh, I've got to say, like that was a very similar decision-making process that we went through kind of five or six years ago when we started Alpen was almost exactly that. Like if ever you're going to have a real crack, like have a crack when there's runway to yeah. kind of go back to your day job. Effectively. That's, 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 right. that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny how with this journey, even now that's somewhere in the back of my mind, you know, I really hope this is working out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything is based on <laughs> You can always go back to your normal job and be right. Yeah. Uh, and if it all else fails, the way you'll probably always take me back. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But anyway, so we were lucky enough to, to with a, a nice PowerPoint deck, convince just an angel investor to mm-hmm. put some money behind me. And, and with that, got, got a little bit of money from, from family mm-hmm. and just then started my own thing which is knows and we've raised three times today and yep. we're live with two products including bed insurance yeah and so far so good and how long ago was that so when was when was kind of the first pitch deck for knows when did that happen uh so the first pitch deck would have been about april 2017 yep right after i had finished up with with petrol yep and then so had conversations with this angel before that, mm-hmm. um, but it was more about things that I might do. Yes. And he was, he just had appetite to, to, yeah. to back some. Yeah. And so in April, he said, he finally committed to, yes, you'll, you'll back the venture. And then, then I realized I might not be able to do this on my own. I need yeah. some partners. Yeah. And then some guys that had worked with me came and spoke with me and, uh, Said, well, we'd like to join you. What are you doing? Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, Lee, where are we going? Uh, yeah. I'm sure you've got a plan. And I said, well, I have a plan. Here's the plan. Do you like the plan? And they both liked the plan and, yeah. and jumped on board. And so then in, in June 17, which is about a year and a half after I had spoken to the, the guys in South Africa about the other opportunity, yeah. finally out of nose. Yeah, yeah. And so tell me about the importance of bringing on those partners. Because one thing that I've spoken to people about a bit is kind of, you know, going alone when you're starting up a business or starting a new venture or whether having people alongside or like how did that work out for you? Yeah, so um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Three in retrospect was too many Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm very glad I haven't gone it alone. Yeah. So uh, one of the three founders isn't involved in the day-to-day business anymore. He's still a shareholder and he's yep. gone back to a day job. And myself and the other co-founder, we run the business. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Nathan's an awesome guy. And if you know one day we sell this for a lot of money, we would do something again. 
I pick Nathan as a partner again. Yeah. So that's worked out really well. And I, I can see that there's a lot to be said about having a co-founder. Yeah. Uh, but I think distributing it too widely is, is a big risk. And I think yeah. something people might want to fall it's, into. It's definitely something that comes up a lot when people are thinking about either starting a business or they've got a business that's been around for a long time and they're looking to go through that next stage of growth. And so they're thinking about what kind of partnership they might get involved. And we talk a lot about, um, particularly when people get to the stage of exit and they've got really massive shareholder registers, which just get really, really clunky. So people are always trying to work out, okay, do I want one person, two people, five yeah. people, three people? Like it is a spectrum, right? It's, and, and how would you, I mean, one thing that resonates with us a lot is we always want people on the register that are going to be be able to make a good contribution yeah. to the activity of the business as well, particularly when you're new. Is that something that sounds like it's something particularly with your um, active partner that has played yeah. out quite well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm the dreamer. I always want to push the envelope. And Nathan is very much focused on execution implementation, which yeah. complements yeah. where, where I don't have that skill he does. But even in the, in, the, in the wider shareholding, so yes, we probably have too many shareholders and if you designed it, you wouldn't design it like that. The reality is you don't design these things. No, you, you don't. Do. No, you don't. That's right. And, 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 that's, and I think that is a reality. You're right. Like it's not as if you say, oh, I deliberately went out and got 25 shareholders. Yeah. It's just the fact that as you've been going through the process, that's where you've ended yeah. up. Yeah. But there have been places where we're at a nexus and there's a, there's a decision and we can go left or right. And... In those cases, we have asked ourselves, okay, where's the better option to go? And ultimately, the people that are, that are involved in the business, so we, we set the structure up in such a way that some of the, the early investors that had nothing to contribute but cash and mm-hmm. good wishes yeah. are in sort of uh, unit trusts. Yep. And so they don't need to know much about the business and I give them an update every now and again, just more of being friendly and kind yeah. than they need to. But those that are involved on the board and have direct shareholding, have something to contribute. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, in fact, everyone on some way, even no one as executive directors, are involved in the business some way yeah, as yeah. an advisor or something. Yeah, yeah. That's actually a really neat structure. So you've almost syndicated the financial investors into a, into a trust structure. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. And then direct investment for those that are that are active. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with the, the one initial angel, obviously yeah. being there. Yeah. Yeah, as they should be. As they should be. So, so just stepping back for a sec. So, give me the five seconds on the business and its operation and kind of its core product. Okay. All right. So, Nose wants to make Australian bets the happiest and healthiest in the world, and we think that, I like that. That part to do that is to to take My away. My wife would like that. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> Uh, and I'll try and sell your policy. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So how we see we can can work towards that vision is to help pet owners and veterinarians alike to remove the uncertainty, some of the financial burden, and, and just some of the the complications in pet care. Mm. And so to do that, we've got two core products. The one is called pet wellness or pet care plans. That's for everything that you should plan for and should expect. Yeah. And typically we work with local veterinary clinics and they already have these protocols, these recipes of how to take care of a pet. Uh, and they recommend them every day. Yeah. And then Just they don't, don't do them. They don't do them and the, and the vet, when they are done, doesn't share in most of the revenue. Yeah. Because you end up going, buying your medication from Woolies or, or 
pet yeah. barn and you don't go to the vet as often as they recommend they'd say yeah. once a year or once in six months for an older dog and you're going to go every 18 months or two years yeah so what we help vets then is take their protocol and wrap that into a subscription yeah but you as a customer then for a flat monthly fee you get everything taken care of and for yeah. some the financial element of that is more important and yeah. for others that are time poor it's actually the complexity don't take think about it that's yeah. right yeah so um when it's time for your checkup vaccination the, the vet obviously sends a reminder but this time it's all paid for and you know you're on time and then every month or every six weeks or every quarter depending on what's in this recipe the protocol that they're recommending the meds are shipped to your door in a nice envelope yeah. with a vet's logo yeah. with instructions of, of what to give so you just administer what arrives in the door and then have that peace of mind that yeah, fluff right. is taken care of yeah. to a really good standard of care yeah um the second product we've got then is to complement that, which is for everything you don't, don't expect, expect and right. do not that's foresee. Insurance, and that's bed insurance. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, right. Oh, fantastic. And so, what are you? What does the next kind of period look like for the business? Like, what's on the what's on the horizon? What's on the so, we just launched the bed insurance in late June. Mm-hmm. So it's been six months almost for us. Um, so we know that. The product works, all the administrative bits at the bottom work so we can administer claims, pay them, get premium, all those essential bits that aren't sexy but you've got out of yep. place. Yep. And now the next phase is for us really to work on distribution. Yeah. Okay. Sales, sales, sales. Yeah. And what's your main kind of marketing and sales method? Okay. So so we started off uh, through paid search. Yeah. And the reason is that you can get high intent leads onto the website and ensure that you find points of friction in that sales funnel yeah, and fix it. Through. Yeah. And we're to the point now we have a release in the next um, week or so where we think we're pretty close to a very solid funnel. Mm-hmm. And the second phase now is to work on the main distribution, which is actually through bets. Uh, so uh, through that trusted relationship, we're a... Because you actually see yourself as a wholesaler as opposed to a retailer, almost, if you're going through distribution, right? So you need to get yeah. them on board. And are they then starting to say when their people, then their customers come in, look, here's a way that you can... Yeah, so, so, so it's not quite white labelling, so it's no, not a but, brand. But, 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 it's, but it's them being your point of sale absolutely. as opposed to you being your point of sale. That, that's right, yes. that's right. And we think that the vet can, in this category never be removed from the equation because they're always going to be the one that, that treats the pet yep. and that has a relationship with a pet owner. Well, and hopefully are the trusted advisor as well for that owner. Uh, absolutely. And, and one of the highest trust professions available with, with insurance salesmen yeah. Yeah. You know, and car salesmen at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So they, 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 they can really that trust. So we want to do a few things in that process. Vets are very reluctant to recommend or talk about financial yes. services yeah, they've been yeah. trained to be conservative so we want to make sure that they feel comfortable that we're compliant it's everything right we thing. do is the right way yeah. it's above board uh, and then in that process we we also try and pull everything back to the mission yeah. so instead of giving the vet a commission for recommending or referring the product we take five percent of the premium of every policy that's referred through the vet and put that into a local pro bono fund yeah. that clinic can then use to do work on strays, wildlife, or even somebody that really has an emergency and is under financial stress and cannot afford it. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, and, and we know that vets 
do that kind of work in any case. Yes. Which puts more pressure on that as a small business. And yeah. So here's an avenue for you to release some of that pressure, still do the good that you want to do and help your other customers, you know, take that care. really is structuring your business model to suit your overall intent. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. And that resonates and so we we're busy building that out now and as yeah. the as the main distribution channel. Yeah, wow. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're coming to the end of time, so I always get stuck having to limit my time because I like talking for a long time. But a couple of things I just want to ask um, before we wrap up, and this kind of steps back to kind of you, the arc of your career to date. Mm-hmm. What's something you miss from big corporate now being in smaller business? Wow. There's got to be something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're gonna say nothing. Bonus. <laughs> there, there's no bonuses when you're. Oh, no, no, no. Definitely in the in the early days, the um, and it's the obviously the, the regular cash flow certainty or perceived certainty. Yes. As, so. a, 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 about that kind of thing was a big thing to give up. Yeah. If for some reason nose does not work and we don't get to where we want to be, I'll try something again. I don't think I'm going back to corporate. Yeah. Gotcha. Even though. This startup life is not easy, mm. uh, and you know you could grow grey much quicker than I think you do in, in corporate. So it's I not for you. everyone either. I hear it, you. it suits me. Yeah, and so my next question was going to be, what do you love about what you're doing now that you didn't have when you were in big corporate? Mm. Many things. I think the main thing is the ability to take my vision, my dream, and give effect to it. Yeah. And and is to, to look at the business and, and knowing that I, with the help of a lot of other people, yeah. did this. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and being proud what, of this. This yeah. is what we built. Yeah. 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 I've got two more questions. So you've got to wrap it up. Two more <laughs> questions. That would be quick fire though. So what's one thing that small businesses can learn from big businesses in a positive way? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's a reason big businesses get big, right? But what's one thing um, that small business should learn from big businesses? I think... The, the big businesses that, that do well are those that are focused, have a plan and execute against the plan and they have proper processes and procedures. Yeah. And those are things I think that as, a, as an early startup, when you get into startup lingo, it's all about doing the pivot and, and, and being flexible and learning and, and building things on the fly and then later going back and, and solidifying them. Yeah. And I, I think that there's big risk associated with that. Yeah. And so I think some of the, the ways that big business think about getting uh, processes in place and yep. doing things properly, you know, something that, that I do catch myself at not doing and then purposefully uh, reposition. Remind yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one is, what should big business learn from small business? That if you provide somebody with more autonomy, and responsibility, people usually respond in a very positive way. All the people that we employ have a very high level of autonomy and responsibility and flexibility. Mm. And um, maybe flexibility is the other one, mm. time for another podcast. Yes. But yeah. uh, those three elements, I think if they're done right, get so much out of employees, it's, it's, it's insane. And that would then leverage the scale of a big business more because actually you're empowering even a bigger group of people even more than they currently do. So yeah. some of the structures in big business is holding them back, whereas small business with that extra flexibility is getting better performance. Yeah, yeah, and whether it's structures or just mindsets and cultures, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe better. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Excellent. 